missing connection to your science night. Please stand by. Welcome back to this very special Gen Con edition of the Science Night Podcast. We are here in beautiful Indianapolis, Indiana, to go to the greatest four days in gaming at Gen Con. Gang, this is like the first time that we've ever experienced each other in a physical presence and not just as a Zoom box. Very exciting stuff. I walked into the convention center and I was struck by two things immediately. Uh, One, this is the most people I've been around since the beginning of the pandemic. And two, I felt a lot safer being in that room because we shouldn't bury the lead. Gen Con required all uh, con goers to wear a mask at all times when inside and show proof of vaccination. So I was able to go to this place where there was a lot of people and also feel like this is the safest way to go to this amount of indoor spaces. Not to mention the fact that this is one of the most welcoming communities. Yes. Right. uh, Of people that you'll ever come across. And so, you know, everybody is welcome at Gen Con and they make that very, very clear um, that it's a place that's a safe place for everyone to be themselves. Well, everyone's welcome. Inclusion, I think, is still something that everyone needs to work on, including Gen Con. Agreed. Agreed. That's a different issue, right? I mean, everyone is welcome. Not everyone is included. And that's not intentional, but they can be intentional about making sure that everyone knows that they're welcome and then is also included. I very much appreciated, again, the, the COVID protocols. And it was also surprising that this was done at Gen Con. Thank you. And it's not done at scientific conferences. <laughs> yes. Multiple people have pointed that out on social media as I've posted pictures of people wearing masks in everything. Uh, so, you know, maybe scientific associations could take note of something like that. It's also worth noting that this is, you know, I live in Indianapolis. Um, so it's great to see both of you here in uh, my city. This is one of the only conventions that has gone on since they've started up conventions again post the initial lockdown that actually required masks. So here in Indiana, we don't have indoor mask mandates. We haven't Mm -hmm. for a very long time because as far as we're concerned, this pandemic has been over for well over a year. Gen Con bucked the trend. And it was no, it was noteworthy, right? It was mentioned on the local news like, hey, this is a convention. They're actually requiring people to wear masks. And it it upset some people because, you know, they said, well, we've been able to hold conventions here in Indianapolis safely without masks. Why do we need to, you know, virtue signal? That wasn't the point. The point was Gen Con made a decision based on what they thought their community would appreciate Mm -hmm. and supported their community. And to me, that was the amazing part of the whole thing. Making a decision to support the people that you are putting on this convention for. You would think that the same would be true at scientific conferences, but it's the the truth is it's not doesn't happen. Yeah. So let's talk about the things we saw because there's a lot to see everywhere. There is a 
set of halls where you can play games or buy games, each of which you could comfortably fit several 747s inside. And we were able to just kind of wander around and see all kinds of crazy things. So let's just do like a like a top three. What are what are the top three things that you saw that were like, oh, this is really cool? I will go first. I saw so much awesome cosplay. This was like the first kind of convention that I've gone to where people dress up as something. And it looks so much cooler in real life to see the amount of time and effort that somebody is willing to put in uh, for this look. And I appreciate all of the time that they do that because it was so cool to just walk around and see like my favorite characters from sci-fi going. Yeah, I would agree with you on the cosplay. And actually, it kind of uh, dovetails with one of the things that I thought was pretty cool, which is in the big exhibit hall, in addition to having you know rows and rows of game developers with... Um, game demos and the ability to purchase games and you know expansion packs for those games and all anything you could imagine dice magic the gathering cards right whatever you wanted there was also a whole section to support the cosplay going on Mm -hmm. at the convention and so if you wanted to enhance your um your costume for the next convention you go to you had an opportunity to purchase all sorts of really cool um, costume clothing and accessories and to me that was pretty cool it's like well we know our our community is into this in fact there's a costume parade in the afternoon on saturdays every year at gen con which is amazing to watch but the fact is they know what their community wants to do and they support it in every way that that they can and to me that was really cool i was pretty excited to see although i missed the actual performance that the local fencing club where I'm a member, which also has a division that does historical European martial arts, did a longsword demonstration oh, wow. um, at Gen Con that was, you know, an actual program. And to That's me, that cool. was pretty cool. I'm sorry that I missed it. I didn't learn about it until afterward. Um, would have been pretty cool. I'm not a, a longsword fighter <laughs> or... Yet. Yet. Probably never will be. I'm more into the epe, but... It would have been cool to watch that. I know a bunch of those folks, and uh, and it's fun to watch. I'm going to dress up next year. I don't know what I'm going to be, but I was really excited. And also the guy that was walking around with the emergency cosplay like uh, uh, repair kit, that was pretty cool, too. That's true. He had a big giant sign sticking up, yeah. right? I mean, he was in full camo, right? Um, a lot gear, of pockets. Right, lots of pockets, um, and like had this big tray around his midsection that had like <laughs> super glue and sequins and all sorts of stuff, right? And needle and thread, right? And this big giant sign that said, you know, if your costume's broken, come here. I will help you fix it, right? Yeah. That was pretty cool. Steffi, what did you see that created wonder in you? I really like Fallout, the game, for many mm-hmm. reasons. Post-apocalyptic, but they have fusion that was just awesome. Um, Crafty Rick, the the yeah. whole RPG game of Fallout with the handmade pieces and scenery was amazing. I loved it. I have been like geeking out over those videos after after finding out that A, Crafty Rick exists and that yep. he's so talented. I know. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, that is going to be one of my costumes for next year. I already have like some of the gear. I need to finish making pieces. This is my 3D printers behind me, so it's going to get <laughs> some action. Awesome. Got to do like a full year, a full year build. I love it. 
Yeah. <laughs> I took my youngest back on Sunday, um, and ex- we specifically went over to the Fallout display, right? So he could see how extensive some of these, you know, figures were and the scenery. And um, he was just absolutely amazed. So we stood there forever mm-hmm. watching, and then people were like playing. Um, yeah. And it was fun to watch. Another thing that I saw was pretty amazing, and we haven't even talked about the games yet because there's just so much to see, but I was kind of wandering around on the second floor one day, and I noticed that they had like a whole section that was dedicated to crafting, so like painting workshops, speed painting competitions. Uh, They had a section that was dedicated to uh, GMs to kind of like figure out how you're going to run your game before you get to the point where you're running your game and just ways to inject lore and all of those things that you don't really think about as part of gaming until you like really get into it. It was great to see that there were all of these places where you could kind of improve your skills or learn a new skill. And a lot of them were either free or very affordable, like one to two dollars was what I was typically seeing with with the ability to walk away with like a little figure that you've painted in some cases. So that was really cool to see too. And it wasn't also like down in the throng of people. So it was a little quieter and uh, easier for you to walk on your piece. And I got some really cool pictures of some finished painted pieces too. The whole thing was overwhelming because I didn't even know, know what to expect. I, I feel like this year was a good preview. So now I can actually plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe go. maybe one point of critique uh, again towards Gen Con is what they don't really do is teach you how to Gen Con ahead of time on any of their website information. Like the information, people working the information booths at the location were amazing and very helpful and very nice and very patient with somebody like me who had no idea what to do. But they also were having to deliver the fact that a lot of the stuff that I wanted to do had sold out days ago. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, um, I think having a little bit more information of you really need to plan ahead on the website would be a thing that Gen Con could do to improve. Now you know. Now I know. Yeah, now I know. The irony is that, you know, for a gaming convention, there were not instructions ahead of time. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. I did ask someone ahead of time who had been there and they're like, just buy, if you see something that you want to buy, buy it like the first Mm -hmm. day or something because a lot of things do sell out. I do have a list of games that I want to get when they hit Kickstarter. And so that's what I really liked was we got to preview games even Mm -hmm. if they weren't available or if they sold out, like one of them sold out, at least now I know I want this game and I'll buy it when Mm -hmm. it, when they have more in a couple weeks. Yeah, that's a good point. Cause a lot of times on Kickstarter, you have like a handful of photos and at most like a little video clip to gauge what this game is going to look like and be like, whereas you could actually watch play demos uh, at, at the convention hall. So that was really, really helpful too. What did we think about the two kind of like charity builds that they had there that they were auctioning off the opportunity to destroy at the end of the con? One was an impossibly large balloon dragon. Mm-hmm. And the other was, I would say, at least like a 30 foot long card stacked castle. 
um, House of Cards, Castle of Cards, Card Halla, I believe they were calling it. <laughs> they're auctioning off the opportunity to destroy it at the end of the convention. I thought that was a really creative way to to fundraise or or fundraise for charity in this case. I agree. It sort of reminded me of uh, this time I was walking on campus here and um, one of the local fraternities had obtained some kind of car. It was sitting on top of a tarp and they had sledgehammers. They said $5 and you can hit this, you know, you get one swipe with the sledgehammer on the car. And I was like, oh, all right, I'm in. <laughs> like I, I had never considered that I wanted to hit a car with a sledgehammer before, but I got to tell you, it was cathartic and, uh, and, yeah. and it felt pretty good to do it. It was totally worth it. $5 is a heck of a deal. Right. Yeah. No idea yeah. what they were raising money for. Probably not as wholesome as uh, what Gen Con was raising money for. Just, you know, the, the keg fund. Right, exactly. I liked for the balloons, the balloon dragon, you got to see it being built throughout the weekend. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then for the cards, you actually got to participate. Yes. You could go and you can, yeah. you can be actively involved in building them. Which I did not do because I'm terrible at stacking cards and I didn't want to preemptively destroy Cardhalla. So I stayed well back and enjoyed the people who were able to make incredibly... I didn't see ladders anywhere, but there was at least a 10-foot tall tower of cards at one point. Yep. So I don't know how that happened, but it did. I don't know. And I guess the other thing, you know, talking about the the type of person that goes to this convention, it was not like guarded or anything. You could do, you could have gone up and popped a balloon or knocked over a card tower at any point if you wanted to, but it didn't happen. Um, and I'm just thinking like, maybe if you get a lot of Phillies fans in there, this balloon dragon isn't going to make it to the end of the con. So so it's really interesting that you had a group of people there that were willing to like take care of the convention as well. With all due respect, you would only need two Phillies fans. I mean, there was only for one that there, to happen. luckily. Well, right. You said Philly fans, right? Phillies fans. You only need two mm-hmm. for that thing to come down, for sure. It, you don't need a bunch. Sure. Just two. You'd have to you'd have to grease the poles all around to keep us from crawling up stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I thought was great was the amount of new friends that this podcast has made. And we're gonna start playing some clips from the game makers that we talked to on the con floor. Thank you so much to all of them that gave us the time. But we also made some new friends at Indiana Sciences. Well, reconnected with old friends at Indiana Sciences and made some new friends at the Sun King Brewery. And that is what has allowed all three of the special Gen Con episodes to happen. So I want to thank everybody that took time out of their very busy days to talk to us and what we're going to do now is go to some conversations that Steffi and I had on the convention floor and I want to remind you again if the sound sounds a little bit muffled it's because we're all wearing masks so we're all being safe and talking to each other about the game so what you're going to hear from is um, Genius Game Studios Nomnivore Games a game that was being marketed by uh, ICU doctors called Critical Care and the creator of a lot of the North Star games, uh, including Evolution and Ocean. So those are going to come back after this quick message. 
Hi friends, Cameron here. I host a bi-weekly podcast called Nature is Gay that explores themes of sex and sexuality and gender expression across the natural world. We talk about pseudo-copulation and sociosexual behaviors, asexual reproduction, in plants and animals and fungi and every little thing in between. It's a great time. I'm a little biased, but I think you should check it out. That's Nature is Gay, available wherever you get podcasts. Genius Games produces science-accurate board games and card games and also newly anatomy puzzles. And so what we do is we work with over 20 PhD doctors and scientists from around the globe. They kind of peer review, almost vet uh, what we do here, making sure it is scientifically accurate as possible, suggesting names for some components so it matches the actual science, uh, making sure it is accurate. Um, they're NG, SS compliant, STEM compliant, so they can be taught in classrooms. So what we have at the show is we have three games we're really showing off here. So there's Cellulose, which is our latest uh, release. It's a plant cell biology game. It's a worker placement game. It's a sequel, kind of sister title to Cytosis, which is like our other big uh, Genius Games title. We also have some collector's editions um, that we're showing off from the Kickstarter. We had a few extra that we were expecting to get lost on a ship or something. That always happens. And then they all arrive safely and fine, so we had extras. So we brought them to the show. And then we also have Genotype, which is our release from last year. Um, it also recently won the American Mensa Award, which is a huge, huge honor. We have a couple games that are like recommended, uh, like Cytosis and stuff, but that actually won it, which is awesome. Uh, so we have that as well here. Uh, that's a dice drafting game about genetics. And then we also have a new released Ion version. Mm -hmm. Ion's one of our older games. I think it's like seven years old at this point. But we redid the art on it, made it more modern, and we also tweaked the rules a little bit in some places to make it play more modern, make it play a bit nicer and quicker. Uh, we also have the cellulose scenario packs for the show. Um, so those are adding three new scenarios to the game. There's a coffee plant, which kind of like jumpstarts you into the second round of the game sure, with, sure. A, with a set of components. Uh, so it kind of just jumpstarts you right in there. There's a Venus flytrap scenario, which requires you to sacrifice a card to gain proteins, but you get two points when you do it. So it kind of adds a bit more of, you know, less your resources are hard to come by, but they're more profitable. And then there's also a community garden mode, which kind of gives you some super secret special powers that you can play at any time, and it gives you a huge edge in the game overall. Uh, and that's being given away if you buy the game for free at the show, or it's $5 separate, and that will just be a convention exclusive too. So awesome. next year or at different shows. I know we're going to Essen, um, so it'll be there as well. So we're doing it that way. So. I love, I love to hear that there's a bunch of scientists that are yeah. kind of involved with the process. Do you go to the scientists with an idea, or do you have like submissions from yeah. community, something like that? Honestly, a bit of both. So sometimes we'll have an idea. Like we're, there's one idea we're working on. It's still early on. It's immunology. Mm -hmm. It's like a, it's gonna be a tower defense game about like the immune system. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and which is really cool. But we're so early on because we have the idea, and we say, okay, here's kind of what we want to do with this. Here's a few ideas. We have a few mechanics. We give it to them, and we have them almost like not design it, that's not the right word for it, but they'll say, oh, this is how it actually works, because they're more knowledgeable than we are, of course. So they'll say, here's how this actually works, here's a couple things you can use, here's this real life thing that, that might be cool for this mechanic. So we kind of take a lot of those ideas and we kind of incorporate those, we go back and forth. So that's how we work with them. And then at the end, 
uh, well, throughout the whole process we work with them, but at the end we give them the rule book and say, can you look this over? Can you add anything? Uh, they also are the people in all the games that have the science behind document. They actually write that themselves. That group of people, they'll work together and they'll create that so everything is accurate and it shows this mechanic does this in the game, which is how it is in real life, and it's named this because that's what it is. So that's how we work with them. And we also have submissions we do take from people. Some whom are scientists, some are not. Some are just designers. We have one for First in Flight, which is a game we just had on Kickstarter. That's with um, Brian O'Malley and uh, okay. I can't think of the other person. They made the Search for Planet X. Mm -hmm. It's those designers. Um, so we actually took a submission from them for First in Flight, which is a game we put on Kickstarter. So we kind of work with a bunch of different people. Obviously, First in Flight's less science-y. Sure, um, sure. So that, that doesn't use the 20 people who do the science stuff, but like for immunology that we're working on, like that does. For cellulose, that had them. Phenotype, we use them. So it kind of just depends on which sort of game we're using, the sort of theme. But uh, more often than not, yeah. How do you engage the scientists? And I, that's one question. The other question I have is, there is an amazing amount of games that you have. Uh -huh. A lot of them I see are like biology focused, maybe not so many like physics. So yeah. can you tell me a little bit about the genre spread um, too? Sure. So uh, it's interesting you said physics. So we've, we've had an idea for a physics game in the process for a while. It's just hard. Some things are easier to translate to board games than others. Physics is one that we've always wanted to do because it's such a difficult concept for people to learn that with gamifying it would help. I and mean, a lot of the things we have here too, it does help. Like I know cytosis, like that helps a lot of people understand that kind of cell biology process. So we're going to do the same thing for some physics and we're finding it's really hard to do that. So, because I worked for the company back in 2017 and they were working on an idea and I came back to work for them now in 20, 2022 and they're still working on it. <laughs> because they just were like, we want to do it right, but it's so hard to do it right because it's so complicated. So, and those are ones that the scientists are still like kind of helping out onto and giving ideas. Like it comes every now and again, like let's work on the physics game. And then we go, all right, not now. It's still yeah. being worked on. So the spread overall is mostly biology, chemistry. Uh, and then we recently did the anatomy puzzles to kind of get into um, helping show kids anatomy and teach them about the body and stuff. They come with like a little fun, uh, like a fun facts guide, a little sheet that kind of breaks down, like here's the brain, here's the you know, spinal cord, here's all these things. Otherwise, we also have math games as well. We only have the show right now. We just have Outnumbered, which is the board game. It's a um, like a, almost like a plants versus zombies type of game. It's tower defense in a way, and that's superhero theme, which is really fun. It also scales really well too, so you can like put in multiplication and division, put in exponents and stuff, so it can be older. Um, so we have biology, chemistry, math, anatomy puzzles, and we also have science history games. So like first in flights, a science history game. Sure. We also have Tesla vs. Edison Duel, uh, right, which right. is that, so. Yeah, I've been drawn to the Origin of Species game the whole time we're here. That, that's yeah. really cool to see. Yeah. I love that you're finding new ways to engage younger people and really people of all ages with science. So Preston, thank you so much for talking to me. And everyone go check out Genius Games. Welcome to Gen Con. My name is Derek and I am with Nomnivore Games. We are a phenomenal game company that likes to put together awesome AAA role-playing games and casual card games that will make all your friends hate you. We also come from a very unique element and background when it comes to game design because we're very in tune with mental health and accessibility. 
led by me, hello everyone, uh, a mental health therapist who really believes that everyone deserves a spot around the gaming table. We tried to make sure all of our games are ADHD friendly, dyslexia friendly, and we're currently also working on maybe a secret braille update so you can play even when you're blind. This is great. I am so excited that uh, gaming is becoming more accessible to everyone. So thank you so much for doing this. Even if you don't understand the medical terminology, you're going to be able to better understand what this term means. And we're hoping to kind of encourage everyone to learn more about what we do, because I'm an actual physician, sure. I work in the ICU. And when you go and one of your loved ones does end up there, hopefully when sometimes we accidentally use this more complicated language, it's going to trigger something in your memory sure. and say, oh, I've heard about this, I've seen this. And you can always refer back to these cards to go, oh, hey, look, this is what this is, this is what it means, and have a better understanding about um, the care that your loved one may be getting in the ICU, which is kind of really cool. But everything is designed to real medical um, interactions. Diagnoses link appropriately to the appropriate types of uh, organ systems that they affect. Therapies are linked directly to the appropriate organ systems that they affect. You, you get specialists, you recruit them into your unit to help you solve real medical problems. And all sorts of these different effects have all sorts of real medical interactions, and that's what makes this really cool. Overall, it's a cooperative four-player game, but you can play it as a single person as well. And what makes it cooperative is that you're helping each other take care of your patients. Oh, I like that. You can play cards, you can play therapy cards from your hand on other people. If you see someone who's really sick and needs your help right now, everyone can kind of pool their resources into helping that one patient. If any one patient expires, the game ends for everyone. You win when every single patient in the ICU is saved. And you, you can only really do that by working together because you may have some skills or some therapies that someone doesn't have. Sure, sure. And then you can interact that way in terms of make, getting your people better, getting your patients better. This is great. This is what we're trying to do in medicine, right? Yeah, is uh, sure. team-based team care, yeah. patient-led care. I love it. We try to represent everybody who works in the ICU sure. as kind of a card. And you get all sorts of different interactions, all sorts of different cards, mm -hmm. from nursing to staff, social workers. We try to include, really be as inclusive as we could and include all the staff that work yeah. in the ICU to really celebrate a little bit about what we do and how we do it. Now, I see you don't have, like, a beloved anatomy lab director card. Um, that could be something for an expansion. Uh, like, a, like your medical school expansion. That would be, you know... I, I'm just saying, maybe I'll, I'll email this phone to myself and copyright that card. Yeah, yeah. No problem. Thank you so much for talking to me. Okay, so... Uh, we're here, we're looking at the Evolution game series and the Oceans game series at North Star Games, and I really just wanted to know what made you come up with this idea and what, what are you trying to say with these games? So I came across a game called Evolution, the Origin of Species uh, and was thinking about importing it. A Russian biologist designed it and it would kind of use it as a teaching tool. He's a professor. Um, when I played it, like it just sparked my imagination and for me what I loved was it made an ecosystem come to life and there was like creatures competing 
And um, the thing I didn't like about it is there were just it was it was not a great game. There were some game elements that, as a game designer, I was not pleased with. So I revamped the whole thing, um, and then got beautiful art commissioned from a friend of mine. And um, keeping the science was very, very, very important to me. And the way that I would look at it is, what are we modeling in an ecosystem? And, and what's the most iconic aspect of the thing so that it can be communicated really well? And so sometimes the science had to take a back seat. For instance, there's a trait called climbing. And really, there's no such thing as a climbing trait. There's, you know, opposable thumbs, there's tails, there's long, you know, there's all these things that go into it. But we wanted to encapsulate, like, what is the impact of a species in an ecosystem that now can climb right. and other species can't climb. And so that's how I approached the game was, like, I want to make sure that the trait is being communicated, the impact to the ecosystem is being communicated. So we're looking at, like, the larger outcome rather than the suite of things that would get you to the ability to climb or something like that. Yeah, because that would have gotten really lost yeah. into the details, whereas what people understand is there are creatures and they impact the ecosystem and sure. as they're adapting to the to the ecosystem the fact that they're adapting changes the ecosystem so there's this feedback loop where you're continually adapting to a continually changing ecosystem because your adaptations change the ecosystem sure sure um, so you've actually played the game do you have any like specific questions about it or anything around it? Well, and not a specific question, but just an observation. Because you mentioned it's it's you're communicating how it interacts with the environment. But there's so many conversations that come up when I'm playing with people uh, yeah. that like really spurs it just like like you said, brings the game to life and it gets people to think about how species interact with the environment, how we interact with the environment, and how that can change. And that and I really love how you bring that to the table too. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so climate, one of the central ideas is let's introduce another aspect to this ecosystem, which is climate. And there are species that adapt to extreme heat in a various ways. So we, you know, we just looked at what are some of the best ways. So like burrowing is interesting because it keeps you cool in the summer, I mean in the heat, but it also keeps you warmer. And so we were able to model some, uh, you know, a trait that did well on both sides. Um, Nocturnal is a way to deal with the heat. Doesn't help at all when the, when like you're getting driven into a, an ice age. Sure. And then the one thread that like goes across the whole thing is big species have a hard time dissipating heat because their their um, mass to surface area is like a, a bad a bad ratio. Right. Um, and so. Um, so big species take I like have a harder time living when it's hot, and vice versa, a small species have a hard time living when it's cold. And so we were able to take something that was already in evolution, which is size, and really like integrate it into like how does that how does that element you know change the game as the climate is being driven in one direction or the other. I I'm talking to you. And I'm hearing that you're extremely knowledgeable about, uh, you know, the basic concepts of evolution. Is this, is this something that you personally have a background in? No, I was kind of an, a, a, you know, like a armchair academic. Sure, got it. Um, 
And actually, I was asked to speak at an Evolution conference. They were going to pay me to fly over to Croatia to this beautiful resort to talk to PhD, like evolutionary biologists. I'm like, whoa, 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 I'm a game designer. Yeah. So, and then I, I had young kids, so I did not. Well, you know, that's one of my regrets. I, I don't know if it needs to be a regret because you are able to communicate. Uh, you're able to communicate this in a way that a lot more people can understand it than the average scientist. And that's something we're trying to highlight on the podcast: is that there are a lot of scientists that are very good in the lab, not always that great when they're speaking to somebody who doesn't have a PhD level of experience. So I think your company kind of coming in and making something that the mass market can get these concepts, I, I think that's great and really important. Well, and that's why I'm not looking at DNA and I'm not looking at mitosis. I'm not looking at a lot of like deep elements. I'm looking at the elements that people can relate to, which is like, here's something very relatable to a human. The world is changing and I have to adapt. And so that's like the mirror that's being held up to them as they're, as they're helping their species adapt to the changing circumstances. And I think that's why it like resonates with people. Yeah. You know, I, I see that as just a great concept to have in the back of your head is being adaptable in all situations, not necessarily just as a species, but as a person and being able to kind of interact with your environment that way too. So there's so many characteristics and features of different animals and species. How did you pick which ones to to put into the game? So we have lists, you know, a hundred lists, a list of a hundred. And then we wanted to limit it to ones that could be communicated easily and were iconic. So when people think of animals, like, what do they think of? And they think of, like, flight. It's iconic. And imagine, like, all of a sudden, there's an ecosystem and one of the species can fly. And so then I think about, like, how does that impact an ecosystem? And then I read and I do all the Wikipedia and all the reading. And, like, there's some key things that it does. It allows you to, to leave when there's no food and try to find more food. It allows you to, leave, to escape from predators. Um, at the same time, it takes up a ton of energy, flight. And so... Uh, avian species use need more food per weight than basically any other species on the planet. So it's like we were able to model those three things and those three were enough to be like, wow, it's, it really is impacting the, the ecosystem. Sure. And so it's got to be concepts that like people, you can explain quickly and people can understand. And then when it's a concept that we don't think is super intuitive, we have like a little blurb in the rules. For instance, a volcano blasting out can drive the weather cooler. And so we explain how, like, there are two different reasons why that kind of happens. And we just very quickly, three sentences, explain kind of like why that's driving it cooler. You know, to help help bring out the theme in the places where it might not be intuitive or obvious. I I think that's also an interesting thing to kind of drive home is two things that you just said. One, that there's not like this perfect straight line to the perfect evolutionary end. There's the give and take along the way. And we can't be good evolutionary biologists without noting that there are piles and piles of fossil record telling us that not everything leads to the perfect outcome. And then I think also 
how the climate can be affected in like a counterintuitive way uh, is something that people can think about too. You know, we just had a major uh, volcanic eruption that happened under under the water, so we're not necessarily seeing like that cooling effect happening right now. But I was talking to a lot of people, and they're like, well, what do you mean that could have potentially made it cooler uh, for the air? It's like, you know, particulate matter in the atmosphere, it can really drive down temperatures. And it's not something that really uh, seems obvious to a lot of people. Yeah, so that's really interesting so that we're working that in. We stuck with things that were mostly obvious so that they, they, people could understand what we're doing. And when we thought it wasn't obvious, yeah. we would write a little bit. To explain, and, and, and a thing like burrowing, when people, when species burrow, it does so many different things. So we pick something that we're highlighting, and the game mechanic is is saying it, and then we're writing like, so like with our burrowing card, if you're well, if you're already fed yourself, you can't be attacked, and so we're we're highlighting like the species is leaving the lair to eat, and that's when it's dangerous. But when it's well fed, it's hiding in the lair, and that's kind of like. If we don't think it's going to be really obvious in the gameplay with the rule, then we have a little blurb that kind of helps explain. Yeah. And I'm looking at the art too. I absolutely love that we have the uh, the. Um, oh my gosh! I'm I'm talking about this animal in our talk tonight. Uh, I mean, the Jackson's. Uh, so this is this looks to me like the Jackson's chameleon, um, because it's horned. Right, so we have horns and the the different color patterns, um, but I think it's also illustrating just what evolution can do if it's beneficial to the animal. You have these wild colors because it can help with mating, or it can help them hide in a background. And uh, you're really just in one image. We're telling a lot. We have things that are like lemurs up in the trees, uh, you know, sitting down. We have, uh, you know, this big landscape with a bunch of different biomes uh, throughout. So I really love what the artwork is telling you, too. So the artist is a naturalist and a scientist. Her dad worked uh, with monkeys at uh, Caltech, and her mom worked with JPL to help put uh, Voyager. Sure. Uh, 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 the first Voyager. So she goes around and gives lectures. She's an artist, but she gives lectures about birds and about um, animals. And she is super knowledgeable. So like working with her was great. Like she was one of our scientific advisors in a lot of the stuff we did. So she'll tell you how none of these species are real, but she'll tell you how they who they were inspired by. And right. I, I don't know the lizard, so you're probably right. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you have any any no, further questions? Well, I want to thank you so much for sitting down and talking to the talking to us about these games. If you're out there listening, go check out North Star Games. Buy up absolutely everything they're putting out, and you will have a great time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, James. Thank you to absolutely everybody, again, who took time out of their very busy schedules to talk to us. That con floor was crazy the day that everyone was talking to us. So thank you so much. We're going to have links to all of their websites. So go buy their games, check it out, have fun. If you liked this special episode, why not follow us on social media so you can make sure you're up to date with everything that's coming out. We're going to have two more special Gen Con episodes and some really good conversations 
uh, throughout the next two months. Basically, we're going to go two months without missing a week. So stay tuned to that. You can follow me on my Twitter. I'm at James underscore read three. Steffi, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Twitter at Steffi Deem or on Instagram at Starshipin. Jason, where can the kids find out what you're doing? You can find me on Twitter at OrganJM. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at ScienceNight1. And make sure you go to our website, SciNight.com, for all the past episodes, the links to the things we talk about, and, of course, our merch. That is all at SciNight.com. We will be back next week with a regular episode. And until then... Have a great night. The Science Night Podcast is a proud member of the River Power Podcast Mill. To find out more about our shows, go to riverpower.xyz. There's a Death Angel mushroom? It's like Death Cap. Oh. No, it's not Death Angel. Oh, Death Cap. Yeah, Death Cap. Yep. It's Death Cap, but then oh, there's a death. something about Angel. Um, no, it's no, it's called like, Death Cap for Cutie. That's what it is. Death Cap for Cutie. <laughs> <laughs> Love it.